0: See Everybody, grab a Bible. We are going to be in the Bible today. That's uh, pretty typical around here. Uh, We're going to be in Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. There's sermon handouts and Bibles over on the resource table if you want to follow along with those. Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 through 21. If you weren't with us last week, last week we saw how the Babylonian conquerors, the Babylonians who laid siege to Jerusalem and captured away some of the Jerusalem teenagers, we saw how the Babylonians attempted to transform Jewish teenagers into servants of the Babylonian emperor, King Nebuchadnezzar. And we looked at, at uh, how they tried to affect their attitudes, their uh, spiritual affections, even their appetites for earthly things. And so this week, we are going to see how Daniel and his three friends, who eventually were renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to see how they resisted that transformative process that was taking place, and in, and instead continued to seek and serve God despite those circumstances, despite how difficult their circumstances, their context was. And so, I wanted to start out today by just letting you know something about the Brummett family. Uh, we love Scooby-Doo cartoons. All right. So, who loves Scooby-Doo cartoons? Zoinks, yeah, they all have their little thing they say. Jinkies, zoinks, it's great. So I grew up on Scooby Doo, so we watch, and there's like a million iterations of Scooby Doo. I, I can't even keep track of it all, but we like to watch Scooby Doo, and if you've ever seen a Scooby Doo episode, and I actually found out that this didn't start until the 11th episode of the original season. But if you've ever seen one, you know what happens when you get to the end and they unravel the mystery and they foil the plans of the bad guy. What does the bad guy always say? And I would have... And, you and your dog sometimes. They'll throw in scoops sometimes. Thank you, Aaron, for knowing that. <laughs> so, but it's always this meddling kids emphasis, right? Because people have these plans, these plots, these elaborate schemes... Which in real life would never make any sense whatsoever. And yet, when Scooby and the gang come, they mess up their plans, and all of a sudden, they're considered to be meddling in the plans of these people. The reason I bring that up is because I think today's passage is a lot like Scooby and the gang. And this is why this passage is going to meddle in our affairs. Now, you say that from a negative perspective, they were mad at Scooby and the gang when they messed up their plans to get rich or to intimidate people or to take over the world or whatever it was, right? So they were seen as meddling with those plans. And I kind of say this in jest, we don't need to see God's word, specifically today's passage, as a negative thing. But I promise you, it's going to interfere with our lives. It's going to interfere with how we would like to live our lives, our plans, our plans, our purposes, our idols, our desires. And in that sense, it's going to meddle with us, but in a good way. It shines the light of God's truth onto our lives, and it forces us to consider what it is that we're seeking in this life and how we're serving in this life. What are we seeking in this life, and how and who are we serving in this life? So today's passage really reminds us that if we're not seeking God, we cannot serve him. And I know that seems like really simplistic, but listen to it again. If we're not seeking God, we cannot, we will not serve him as we ought to. So to put it another way, this is the big idea for the passage today. It's that we must seek the Lord in order to serve the Lord. And that's today's big idea. We're going to look at both seeking the Lord and serving the Lord in the context of Daniel. So first, in order to serve the Lord, we must seek the Lord. So let's start out looking at seeking. What is that? And when I say seeking here, seeking the Lord as believers, as those who know God to some extent, I'm really talking about what Matthew's gospel is talking about. So in, in, in Matthew's Gospel, which is primarily written to Matthew's fellow Jews in and around Palestine and Jerusalem, he talks in the Gospel about seeking the Lord. And he's, he's clearly referring to God, and he equates Jesus and God. He, he, throughout his Gospel, he makes it clear that Jesus is God, that, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all together God, But he specifically sees Jesus as Lord, which is a a title given to God in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So all that to say, he's saying, Lord, he means God. And specifically, he's talking about Jesus Christ throughout his gospel. But what does he say in Matthew chapter six from the words of Jesus himself? He says, do not worry, then, saying, what are we to eat or what are we to drink or what are we to wear for clothing? And then he goes on. Jesus says, for the Gentiles, that's the nations, all right, the non-Jews. He says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But, and this is the famous verse, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be provided to you. So from the mouth of Jesus, he says, your heavenly father, my heavenly father, who is your heavenly father, because of my person and work, what I'm coming to do, and what he eventually accomplished through his death and resurrection, knows what you need. So don't worry about all those things that you need, all those things that you want in this world, but instead in this life, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And who's the king of the kingdom of God? Jesus. So as we seek the Lord, we're chasing after Jesus. Jesus. And if it wasn't for the word of God that cuts us open and and reveals our motives and, 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 you know, puts the spotlight on our sin struggles and our false idols that we worship and everything else, if it wasn't for God's Word with its conviction and its encouragement, if it wasn't for the Spirit of God who is actively working in our lives, if it wasn't for the people of God that are filled up with God's Word in their hearts and minds and speaking it to us and full of the Holy Spirit to come alongside us, then folks, we would all be seeking in this life to merely fill our bellies and clothe our bodies instead of seeking to serve the Lord. And that's true of every single one of us, okay? We need not be self-righteous or you know, way too um, overly optimistic about what we can do in our own efforts. If it wasn't for the Word of God, the people of God, the Spirit of God, we would all just be focused on those physical, tangible needs, desires, and whatever else this world has to offer. So today's passage, it reveals three things that we will need in order to continually seek the Lord. And those three things are allegiance to the Lord, endurance as we seek Him, but also dependence upon Him. So we're going to look at those three things in the first part of our passage when it comes to seeking the Lord. So first of all, we need allegiance. We need to make our allegiance known both to ourselves and to the Lord and others. And we see this in Daniel's life in the very first verse in our passage, in verse 8. It says, But Daniel made up his mind, that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So with all the peer pressure of what's happening to Daniel and his three friends, they've been yanked out of Jerusalem and Judah, they've been brought to the belly of the beast, to the heart of Babylon, the heart of this pagan empire, and they've been... uh, uh, given provisions from the, king, from the king's own table, the rich foods and the fine wines. But Daniel knew that this would defile him and his friends, and so he was willing to stand up and reveal his allegiance to the Lord. So last week, we discussed how the Babylonians were attempting to transform Daniel and his friends into servants of who? King Nebuchadnezzar. So they're trying to turn them into Babylonian servants, right? And part of that strategy, as I mentioned earlier, involved feeding these teenagers. Again, they're probably like 14, 15 years old. Part of that strategy is to feed them the very finest foods and wines from the king's own supply. And this was supposed to make them feel privileged, like they have this privileged status with the king. They're eating off his table. It's also supposed to make them see the king as their provider, Okay, so I have this privilege like the king must like us. He's feeding us from his table and the king is our provider. He's the one that gives us what we need and what we want. So we're going to attach our allegiance to him. But folks, Daniel, he didn't want any part of the king's food and the king's wine. And there are at least two reasons for why that is. And this gets debated among biblical scholars with the Old Testament Hebrew scriptural context here. But there's at least one or two reasons. Either the meat itself was unclean and it would have violated God's commandments against eating certain foods that were unclean. Uh, They ate horse flesh and pigs and all sorts of things that would have violated God's dietary restrictions for the Jewish people in the law of Moses. Or the meat and wine might have been used in the worship of the Babylonian gods or both. It's possible that both of those things are going on. And so Daniel's allegiance to the Lord here is clear in that he would not jeopardize his loyalty to God. He would not risk defying God in terms of disobeying God's commandments. He also wouldn't risk worshiping false gods and thereby forsaking the one true God of Israel. And so his allegiance is clear. He shows his loyalty to God, Yahweh, the the one true God of Israel, Uh, by not indulging in the delights and the delicacies that were offered by that pagan king in that pagan place. The second thing, so we need allegiance to the Lord to seek him continually. We also need endurance. And this is because, folks, it is not easy to seek the Lord. Because why? Because all of us have sinful natures. We inherited that from Adam. Okay, so we all have this sin nature, even those of you who are in Christ, who have a new nature in Christ through his Holy Spirit, also have that old flesh, the old man, all those things Paul calls it in Scripture, hanging around. Now, it doesn't have any power over us. We don't have to submit to its tendencies and temptations, but it's there. And so here we have a sin nature. We're in a fallen world surrounded by fallen people with sinful natures. So you think it's easy to follow the Lord in that context with what's going on both inside us and outside of us? No, of course not. And so when Daniel refuses to violate his allegiance to the Lord, he immediately gets pushed back. Would you expect anything else in that context? Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, Now God granted Daniel favor. That's the word for loving kindness in some contexts. God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. This is a high-ranking servant of King Nebuchadnezzar, Ashpenaz, I think his name is. The commander of the officials said to Daniel, he said, I'm afraid of my lord, the king. So this guy has compassion for Daniel, this 14, 15-year-old Jewish kid from, from Jerusalem, So he has compassion, but he says, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has allotted your food and drink. For why should I, I'm sorry, for why should he, the king, see your faces looking gaunt in comparison to the youths who are your own age? And then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. In other words, the king gave me a job to keep you fat and happy. And if you start looking all sad and gaunt, I'm going to get my head cut off. Okay, so he's afraid, even though he has compassion. And I don't want us to miss the fact that already in our passage, and and this goes back to the very beginning of Daniel, already God is working to support Daniel in his allegiance to the Lord. He doesn't leave us to, to, to persevere by our own devices. He's already helping Daniel. And the text says explicitly he granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of that chief official but the official was still hesitant he was still giving daniel pushback on his plans because he didn't want to request he didn't want to grant daniel's request because he feared for his own life and that's people's tendency they fear for their jobs they fear for their lives they fear for their families they fear for their financial well-being and on and on and on and so they don't necessarily help us in our desire to seek the lord and endure so Daniel was taking a risk by even requesting to be exempted from eating and drinking the food and the wine of the king. I mean, think about this. This is true in a lot of cultures, including ours in some contexts. If somebody offers you food and you go, oh, no, thank you. What does that come across as? That comes across as a snub. And you don't snub the king of Babylon. You just don't. We're going to see how that plays out later in Daniel. But you don't snub King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? So despite all the risks that were involved in this stance that Daniel took, he showed his endurance in seeking the Lord by continuing to seek the Lord and searching for a way to honor him throughout his captivity in Babylon. And the Lord helped him with that. And so the third thing, allegiance, endurance, the third thing, and this gets back to the the basic need we all have, is a need for complete dependence upon the Lord. Complete dependence. If we depend upon ourselves, our own strength, our own wisdom, our own fortitude, our own pull-up-our-bootstrapsedness, that's a word, that's hyphenated, uh, we're going to fail. We're going to easily fall away from seeking the Lord. But, guys, gals, if we can trust in God and depend upon Him, then we can continue seeking him all the days of our lives just like Daniel did. So let's look at how Daniel depended on the Lord in verses 11 through 13. Starting in verse 11, it says, But Daniel said to the overseer whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please put your servants to the test for ten days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat, and water to drink instead of the king's meats and wines. And then Daniel says, let our appearance be examined in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So here's the deal. Daniel knew that the Lord was with him in this, okay? And so he comes up with a plan that could only work if God was supernaturally involved in this situation, it could only work with the Lord's help, and the plan was simple. Daniel and his friends would eat, and by the way, vegetables is sort. It's sort of a limit. It limits the category here. It's it's things that are grown from sown seeds. So we're talking about vegetables, fruits, grains, even making bread out of grains. So it's it's a, what we would call like a vegetarian diet, basically. Okay. So the plan is they're going to eat vegetables and fruits and grains and only drink water. Hopefully they boiled it really well, right? Instead of the rich foods and the fine wines from the king's table. And guys, these would have been nice foods and nice wines. Okay, this would be like the other day, uh, Hannah and Brian's Cabo Bob's catering that they did at their house. I was there the other day and I was like, I have to eat all of this. Like and I was, like, pushing people away from the, from the line, trying to gobble up all the Cabo Bobs. But it, like, had these huge vats of queso and these chips, like, mountains of chips. Like, that's the kind of stuff they're putting before these guys, right, who are far away from all the people that would hold them accountable and probably hungry and probably ready to go, well, God left us here in Babylon, so we're just going to indulge ourselves, right, fill up our bellies. That's what's going on here. And so instead of doing that, they're just going to eat some vegetables and drink some water. And Daniel trusted that the Lord would not only sustain them. It's not just about keeping them alive, but that he would actually cause them to flourish in their physique and in their uh, attitude and everything else. So this whole plan depended on God in two ways. First, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the eyes of his Babylonian officials, because guys, if they didn't have favor and compassion for him, they'd be like, done. They'd be like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works, Daniel. We give you food. You put it in your mouth and eat it, okay? So God had to give them favor with these pagan people, but God also would have to bless these teenagers and cause them to flourish in the eyes of their captors uh, as in contradiction, in, in contrast, I should say, to all the other peers around them that were indulging in all these things. So just to recap the first part of our passage, in order to serve the Lord, we must seek the Lord, and that's going to require our allegiance, our endurance, and our dependence upon Him. That's the first part of our passage. Um I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this in our lives because it's, sometimes it's hard. I mean, this was 2,500 years ago that Daniel was going through this stuff, right? And, and I don't get, you know, I'm, I'm, I've never been captive in an empire's capital and forced to eat, like, fine foods. And when I was in sales, it was close to that when we'd go to conferences. But the point is, like, I can't identify with what Daniel's doing here. So as I think about my life and I think about that desire to seek the Lord in our lives and to show our allegiance to him and to not be defiled by things that would defile us in our holiness and, and render us uh, unholy and useless to the Lord in the sense of our participation in what the Lord's doing in our lives, um, I think about when I first became a Christian. Uh, Carl and other people around here, uh, luckily my brother's not here today, can speak to this, and don't speak too much to it, or provide too many details, but when I first became a Christian, I was steeped in defiling influences. I'll just leave it at that, okay? And so, when God went to work in my life, like, I didn't come to faith, like, all cleaned up, ready to go, right? I came to faith in depression, and emptiness, and I was desperate, right? But it wasn't because I figured it all out and started being so righteous that God goes, hey, look at that righteous kid down there. I think I want him to be my servant, right? No, it was God's grace, but it came through faith in Christ. And when that happened and the Holy Spirit came into my life and God's word started convicting me and God's people started coming around me, all of a sudden he showed me these defiling influences in terms of what I was listening to, the music I was listening to, what I was watching, the TV shows, the movies, what I was reading, the books and the comic books. Uh, And I remember uh, feeling convicted by God to just throw it all out into the garbage. I had this house and I was a a, a Christian by this time and and we had gotten married the year before and we had moved into our first house we owned and we wanted to have kids. and, And I was like, if my kids grow up and see this on my shelf, this book, or they are thumbing through my DVDs and watch this, is this what I want to convey to them? That I'm about these things? And, and even some like comic books that were worth, who knows how many, how many hundreds or dollars or whatever they were, signed by the authors and all this stuff. But it was absolute garbage. And it was a defiling influence on my life. And so God convicted me just to open up the trash can outside my bedroom door and just toss it all and i felt so good about that and you know what he's been doing that in my life ever since anytime i forget or don't notice a defiling influence god's spirit god's word god's people bring it to my attention and then I've, i'm left with a choice am i going to let him deal with this in my life or am i going to hold on to it and have him have to pry my fingers off of it and the very best things the very uh, that went the best when I just opened up my hands and said, yes, Lord, this is a defiling influence, okay? I remember going to a movie that was three hours long, and they said Jesus Christ as a profanity so many times that I literally walked out after an hour and sat, And the person I was at the movie with stayed in, and I went and sat outside for two hours until that movie finished after paying like 20 bucks for it, Right? Because I'm not going to sit there and listen to someone profane the name of Christ and pay for it and celebrate it, right? And I don't know what God's doing in your lives. I don't know what he's convicting you guys about. But listen, as human beings, we were created to serve God. If we're not serving God, we are not doing what we were created to do. If you feel meaningless and purposeless and empty ultimately inside, it's because you're not serving the Lord. And the only cure for not serving the Lord is serving the Lord, okay? And as Christians, we are specifically called to serve God by seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first and foremost. In other words, by enduring in our allegiance to Christ the King who makes us righteous through faith by by his saving work on the cross and through his resurrection. It's trusting in the gospel. It's trusting in Christ and chasing after him. But how can we serve the Lord as we should if we are unwilling to seek him with all our heart and with all our mind and with all our soul? Well, frankly, we can't. We need God's help in that, right? Just like we talked about with Daniel. But in order to apply the first part of today's passage, we have to ask ourselves a a meddling question. Are you ready for the meddling question? What is captivating our hearts, our minds, our souls besides Jesus Christ? What is it? All of us have it. It's going to pop up in your head right now or in days to come. He's going to reveal it to you. But what is it that's captivating our hearts and minds and souls besides him? What false gods are we worshiping, whether overtly or covertly? You don't have to join the church of Satan to be worshiping false gods. OK, and those can take any shape or size. So I'll ask it another way. What defiling influences are we allowing into our holy lives as holy people of God through what we do with our bodies, with our eyes that come into us through our ears, through what we pay attention to and listen to, through our eyes and what we look at on the Internet, what we read? What defiling influences are, are coming into our mouths in terms of gluttony or uh, drunkenness or whatever else it is that's leading us astray from God? And what defiling influences are simply coming into our lives because we have an undisciplined thought life? And we have to ask these questions. And we have to ask each other these questions. Folks, we cannot afford to divide our allegiance between the one true God and however many false gods we're tempted to serve. We must ask God to strengthen our allegiance and to give us endurance and to give us a humble and dependent heart so that we might seek Christ as the very center of our lives, as the source of life itself, eternal life, abundant life, and as our highest priority in this life with no one else, nothing else to challenge him in that. So let's turn to the second part of our, our passage today. And it's that seeking the Lord allows us, if we will, if we will seek the Lord, it will allow us to serve the Lord. So we've already seen how Daniel sought the Lord in the first part, right? So now let's see how the Lord rewards these four Jewish teenagers with spiritual growth, spiritual fruitfulness. So why? So what? So that they would be able to serve the Lord, even as they were being enlisted into the service of the king of Babylon. So in these verses, we see God working to prepare these young men to be his holy servants. So first, we see God supplying their needs. So they're going to serve God. He's going to have to supply their needs. Physical, tangible needs a lot of the times. Look at verses 14 and 16, 14, 15, and 16. It says, so he listened to them in this matter. In other words, the... The Babylonian official that they were talking to that was in charge of them listened to Daniel and their plan and he put them to the test for 10 days. A little sample period to see how this goes. Verse 15, And at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Fatter doesn't necessarily mean they weighed more. It just meant that they looked healthy and happy and, and, and put together right even on this diet so as a result of the test the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables and I often wonder where that food and wine went but I don't know I don't want to throw throw shade on the Babylonian captor there but somebody ate that and drank that but they didn't all right So Daniel's plan is completely contingent on whose provision? On God's provision. This plan is not going to work without God stepping in. So much so that Daniel and his friends seemed much healthier and much happier than all the other teenagers who were consuming the king's rich foods and fine wines. Night and day difference. And I'll just say as a side note, guys, this passage is not about dieting. That's not the application here, okay? It's not about becoming a vegetarian, right? God bless you if you're a vegetarian, right? But that's not what this is about, okay? The story is about godly young people who refuse to depend upon the world and what it offers and instead depend upon the Lord himself to provide everything they need in order to serve him faithfully regardless of the circumstances. And it wasn't just physical needs they had. Look at what's next in the next verses. We see God not only supplying their needs in a physical sense there, but God's also sharpening their minds for service. I love that, sharpening their minds. So look at verses 17 through 20. It says, and as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every kind of literature and expertise. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. And then at the end of the days, which was three years or three and a half, somewhere around there, at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and out of them... All Out of them all, he had taken youths from a lot of different nations and kingdoms, not just Judah. But out of all these, these young people, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's personal service. And as for every matter of expertise and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the soothsayer priests and conjurers who were, who were in all his realm, the largest empire the world had ever seen at that point. So, in order to successfully serve the Lord in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel and his friends would need more than just a happy, healthy disposition. Okay, they were the king's counselors in a vast empire. They needed more than just to look fatter and happier than everyone around them, okay? They needed wisdom, they needed discernment, they needed understanding, and even the supernatural ability to interpret dreams and visions, which, by the way, that was a huge part of Babylonian religion and superstition, was dream interpretation, the interpretation of visions and omens and things like this. And so the Lord blesses these faithful teenagers with wisdom and understanding that went well beyond their actual years of life and experience, okay? And in doing so, God made them more impressive than any of their peers, and so they were chosen to stand before the king. And listen to this. Did Nebuchadnezzar get his way in terms of them serving him? No, that's the irony of this passage. That's exactly where God wanted them to serve God. He wanted them standing in the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar at the heart of the Babylonian Empire, full of his spirit, his truth, his wisdom, worship of him. And that's how they were to serve God's purposes in the heart of Babylon and God's purposes in the heart of a pagan king. So finally, we see God sustaining their ministry in Babylon. So they're, they're seeking the Lord, so they're able to serve the Lord. He's he's supplying their physical needs. He's sharpening their minds. Guys, he's also sustaining their ministries. And this is exactly what we come away with from the final verse, verse 21. It says, And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Now listen to me here, because you're going to get to a later passage in Daniel that talks about something happening in the third year of Cyrus the king. This does not mean that Daniel died during the first year of Cyrus, okay? Okay. The whole point of this verse, this is one of those throwaway verses, we don't realize how significant it is. The whole point here is that Daniel's God-given ministry of service to God outlasted the entire Babylonian empire and that Daniel was still serving the Lord in Babylon when the Persian empire came to power under Cyrus the Great. There was a whole sequence historically of empires you know, taking one another over, you know, this whole sequence. And what this shows us is that he didn't just outlast King Nebuchadnezzar. He outlasted a whole host of Babylonian kings all the way into another empire's rule and reign. And so this little historical note sets the stage for everything that follows in the book of Daniel. You might put in brackets here, spoiler alert, because every time his life is threatened, every time his ministry in service to God is threatened, we know what's going to happen. God's going to sustain his life and sustain his ministry. So when the Lord calls us to serve him in some place for some purpose, you've heard me say this, guys, please hear this. He's going to sustain us as long as we need to be sustained in order to accomplish his purpose for our lives. There is not a spiritual being. There is not a person. There is not a natural disaster or anything else in this life or in the heavens that's going to interrupt God's purposes in our lives. That's going to keep us from fulfilling what he has for us to do. And so as long as he wants us fulfilling that purpose, we are invincible. Now sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we die. Some people live longer than others. Some people get frustrated and they feel like, oh, I was supposed to be doing this and now I'm over here doing this. But in all of those circumstances in this life on this earth, we can trust that God is still accomplishing his purposes and we can trust that he will sustain us and provide for us to do whatever it is he's calling us to do. So just to recap, if we're seeking the Lord, then we will be able to serve the Lord with assurance that he will supply our bodies, he will sharpen our minds and he will sustain our ministries until Jesus comes back for us or takes us to be with him in heaven, all right? So there's a, uh, a multitude of examples throughout church history, right, of men and women, including a lot of young people, who sought the Lord throughout their lives, and therefore they were able to serve the Lord in all sorts of meaningful ways. Uh, one of my wife's favorite books is The Hiding Place about Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, there's just so many great, I know Judy and Nathan read a lot of Christian biographies to their kids, but it's, there's just so many examples. And some of their lives and ministries were shorter and some were longer. Some lived to be older. Some died earlier on. Uh, Corey Ten Boom and her sister were a great example of those two things, right? But when I think of how long Daniel served the Lord and how many different kings he uh, served under and influenced, um, I'm reminded of the ministry of Billy Graham. You guys know who Billy Graham is? yeah. I do too, but I did not know this about Billy Graham. I was reading the Samaritan's Purse website. It said that Billy Graham provided spiritual counsel to no less than 12 sitting presidents, from Harry Truman to Barack Obama. He influenced and provided spiritual guidance to 12 sitting presidents. It also said that he participated in events surrounding nine presidential inaugurations And participating in four swearing-in ceremonies for different presidents. But Billy Graham was just a person like you and I. Do you know there's nothing... He's not like some superhero. He's just a man. He's just like you and I. He simply sought the Lord throughout his life. And he went out of his way to keep defiling influences from affecting his life and ministry... And so the Lord enlisted him for spiritual service. He supplied Billy Graham's needs. He sharpened his mind. He sustained his ministry for all those years leading up until him passing away just within the last couple of years. And again, Billy Graham is no different than each of us sitting here today. Please hear that. He's no different than Paul. He's no different than Elijah. He's no different than Daniel. They're all just people. But as Christians, we are called to serve the Lord in different ways, for different amounts of times, with different gifts, with different results. So we have to ask ourselves, where does the Lord want to work through us, through you, to accomplish his plans and purposes? Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to not do that mindlessly, but mindfully and intentionally? working out his plans and purposes through his power and what he supplies us. Folks, as we seek the Lord, he's going to reveal how he wants to use us. And that may be in the, uh, the political realm, like Daniel and Billy Graham. Do you know it's okay for Christians to be in political context, governmental context? Certainly was for Joseph and Daniel and how many others? Billy Graham, right? Or it might simply just to be salt and light in your cluster of cubicles at work, wherever you work. The time and the place and the people will be different for each of us, depending on where God wants us to be serving Him. But we are all called to serve Christ the King for the rest of our lives on this earth, the rest of our days. And however He calls us to serve, we can count on His provision. We can count on His protection to accomplish His purposes in and through our lives and ministries. And that's a beautiful thing, folks. So before we close, I want to circle back because I think the thing that stands out to so many people in this passage is all the rich foods and the fine wines that Daniel had the audacity to forsake that were handed to him on a a silver platter, literally. Folks, when we are tempted to forsake our allegiance to the one true God in order to indulge in the delights and the delicacies offered by this world... We have to remind ourselves. We have to remind each other in the church. That's why discipleship groups and being a committed member of a church family is so important because we need to be reminded that we already have everything we need and infinitely more. Paul calls it every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. We have forgiveness. We have a restored, reconciled relationship with our creator through faith in Christ. We have eternal life. All of it we have through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins and rose again. So what what do we need from this world? We don't need anything. Certainly not something that's going to cause us to forsake our allegiance to him and allow our lives to be defiled. So let's get to work. Let's get to work in service to the Lord wherever he has you, wherever he has us. And let's remember one of my favorite hymns. I love it. The haunting words of turn your eyes upon Jesus. I'll close with that. Just listen to this. I love it. That hymn goes like this in the refrain. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Um, Next week, we are going to see how Daniel begins to serve God where God has placed him for God's glory and for the good of others. And and we're going to see how God uses that dream interpretation gift. So let's pray. Please bow your heads with me.